morning, church family. Are you glad to be in the house of God today? It is so good to see so many of you coming out, all those uh, baptisms. Wasn't that incredible? People just going all in with their mm. faith. It's amazing. I thought Pastor Tyson was gonna have to extend that song a little bit. You guys just kept coming to get baptized. I said, man, we're gonna have to sprinkle them in the back. We don't got time today. No, I'm just kidding. It was an honor, and we're so glad for all of our guests, our VIPs coming and hang out with us today. And those of you joining us online, we are starting a new series called Relationships Are Hard. How many of you can relate to that, those, that terminology, right? That sentence, right? Relationships are hard. Relationships are hard because people are complicated. Life can be difficult. Yeah. And so we just want to take some time for the next few weeks and talk about relationships. And specifically, we're not going to just zone in on, a lot of times people when they hear the term relationships, they're thinking that we're talking romantic relationships and marriage and dating. Uh, that's just one facet of relationships. Uh, there are, you, every person in this room, whether you're married or you're not, you're in relationships with so many different people. You're in relationship with your kids, coworkers, employers, employees, friends, family, your pastor. You're in relationships with so many different people and we all can do better and learn how to do relationships God's way. Can I get a big amen, everybody? Amen. So today I'm joined by pastors Kevin and Melissa Goff from, where, where are you guys from? Well, <laughs> Phoenix area. Phoenix, yeah, Phoenix area. Arizona, yeah. And uh, you guys joined us for our marriage conference this weekend. How many of you were at our marriage conference this weekend? Yeah. Yeah. It was an amazing time, and uh, we had a great time. Tons of people played Battleship this weekend, <laughs> and uh, if you weren't here, it's probably if, good you don't know what we're know, talking. If you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And uh, so we are really happy that you guys decided to be with us this weekend, taking time from your great church, which you have a church in, in where are your churches at? Well, we have two in Phoenix, in the Phoenix metropolitan area, then yeah. we have one in Oklahoma City, and we're doing a rollout now in one in Florida, so just right. different, different places. Isn't that amazing, church? <laughs> we need a campus in Florida. How about that? <laughs> you're, picking, you're picking cities where you want to retire. Yeah. Yeah. Oklahoma was not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, when, when, they, when we got the call for Oklahoma, two months before, we got a call to Oahu, Hawaii. Oh, Lord. And the Lord told me no. Oh, why? And then a, then a month later, they, we, we got to talking about Oklahoma City, and God said yes, and my wife said, you're getting the wrong O. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I would, if, God, if an opportunity came for us to put a vibrant campus in Hawaii, yeah. I don't think I'd even pray about it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely when you know you're being obedient. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Let, can I just say up front, uh, and, and I know a lot of pastors are coming to say this, but we have the privilege to share our story just all over the globe, and we get the chance to sit with pastors and staff, and it's, it's interesting, it's an interesting thing, because so many times, when you arrive at a location or a church, you hear all these sad stories and sob stories, and how hard it is, and the pastor's down, and we just don't know what to do. It's refreshing, it's refreshing to know and hear of a church, and a pastor's, you know, set of pastors, before you get somewhere, and then when you get there, it's better than you were told. And so you, you, you yeah, and, and I wanna say it, I, I wanna say it because we're, we're talking about relationships being hard, and it's obvious, y'all you, you, here are like, well yeah, I've been church hurt, I've been church hurt, I've been church hurt. Um, no one's been more church hurt than Jesus, so just chill out, um, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's so refreshing because I've always felt guilty sitting around with some pastors like, they wanna know what your problem is. I'm like, I, I love my church, they love me, I love my staff, we hang out, and I feel like we're just at home here, so yeah. we love your pastors. Give it up for him and them, come on, amen? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. I agree, I love my church too. Yeah, yeah. It, Honestly, this is the truth, I know we gotta do something here, but <laughs> whenever I have an opportunity to go out, I try not to do it on Sundays, because I like being home. Yeah. I love yeah. our church, I yeah. love seeing them in the lobby and laughing with them and seeing their kids, and, yeah. and it's just the world. Yeah. It, there's nothing like it, I always tell them, if I didn't, Pastor this church, I would come I would to attend church. it, yeah. I would, exactly. I mean that, I mean it. Exactly. I would too. Yeah, I you would come here over your I, church? Well, no. No, you should. 
But if I, if I live close, yeah. I, I, I think that'd be a problem for me. <laughs> my wife quit my church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I asked you guys to join us. Yeah. And during our marriage conference, I asked you guys not to share too much of your story, right. to share, right. so save it for the church uh, today. And so in the context of relationships are hard, uh, I asked you guys to join us. I'm just gonna sit here and listen with the rest of our church. But why don't you guys just fill us in and share your story with us today? Yeah, um, our story covers so many, so many areas on the spectrum of trouble and problems. And uh, we met at a very young age, my wife and I. When I first saw my wife, she was 12 at a youth camp and I was 14. I remember thinking she was walking down the street in a two-tone blue dress. And I was like, that girl right there is cute. Then I found out she was 12 and I was a teenager and that wasn't cool. And so, and then uh, a couple years later, we were, my family, we was a, I was raised in a music singing group, and we were on the road, and we were doing, we were the guest group at this minister's convention with about 1,200 people, and uh, she was about 14, I guess, at the time, and we were actually in Oklahoma City, uh, first time we ever actually had a great communication, if you want to call it that, and as, as I looked up the stairs, this girl <laughs> came walking down the stairs, and one of her sandals had broken, was flipping off, flopping off her, her ankle. I looked up, I thought, this isn't right, and her and some of the other pastor's kids had gone up to the, the penthouse suites and stolen a decanter of bourbon, <laughs> and she was drunk. Oh, my Lord. Nice pastor's daughter. And so I, I looked, saw, and then I looked over here and her dad was coming. So I ran up the stairs and grabbed her and told a couple of our friends, get her out of here. You know, I, I, so I tell her all the time, when we first met, I saved your life. Uh, but when I, when, I, when I took her to the elevator, I remember thinking, whoo, this girl is hot. Um, and so about a year and a half later, uh, we went to her father's church to do a concert there. And I remember thinking, I, I want to see her. She'll be, you know, about 15 and a half. I'm 17. This is great. And that Friday evening, she didn't show up. She wasn't there. And I was like, man, she obviously didn't think I was much. And so as, as we were breaking down the gear afterwards, the side door opened and she came walking in because she was a cheerleader. She'd been at Friday Night Football. And she walked in, her, she walked in in her cheerleader's outfit. And I looked at my brother-in-law and said, see that girl? I'm going to marry her. I thought I was just talking, but I didn't realize I was, you know, just kind of professing my future. And we started dating that night, and uh, we, we just really started writing letters long distance. We dated for a few years long distance. I moved to Phoenix in 1982, and there we are. Yeah. yeah. So we got married. I got... I'm gonna move this. Can, okay. can you guys right. see her better? Someone take this for me. Someone take. <laughs> We need to see her. We need to see what he was talking about. We're remodeling. <laughs> there we go. Okay, now we can. All right. All right. So 10 days out of high school, we got married. And this is a picture of us in our first amazing marriage that we had. Yeah. I already looked like I was 60 years old. <laughs> <laughs> now, we, we were just this couple that was crazy in love, but we were two broken kids. Yeah. How many of you know when you get married, you don't come in with perfection? And we were two broken kids that came in, and we thought love was enough to keep us together. Well, we started ministry really young. We well, what we didn't know at the time is both of us, when we were young, had been molested yeah. as children. She had been molested by someone who lived in her parents' house and coming out of prison, and they were trying to help him. And I'd been molested for four years by two different family members. So we came in with all this baggage. Yeah. We came in with all these things of hurt and rejection that I didn't realize she had, mm -hmm. and she didn't realize that I had. And so we started our marriage out really strong. He's a, he's a driven young man, and he was just going after success and career and like, I'm going to be something. And, and so we wanted to have it all, do it all, be it all. And that was his mantra at the time. And in doing so, man, that world just, it got crazy. We started our church when he was 21, no, 23. And I was 21. Right. I had a 10 month old when we started the church. That first year that we got the church started, we started our own, you know, from the ground up. I got pregnant with twins. So then I had three little boys in diapers, two and under. That was a crazy season of our life. And our lives were very separate. I stayed home because I was insecure. I didn't want to be on stage. I didn't want to have anything to do with being in the limelight. So I stayed at home and he did the ministry. So our lives were driven in two different directions. We really had a separate life. 
But in the midst of all of this, there was chaos going on. Our, we're, you know, he, we're trying to help people hold their marriages together, and our marriage was literally collapsing from the inside out. Yeah, and, and when she said we were kind of separate, uh, not only do we have the church and the children, but I was also a state youth director over 30 churches and a denomination, and we were building our first house, and I had a commercial cleaning business with 13 businesses at night, so I wasn't sleeping. Uh, I wouldn't rest. And there was times that I would be up for you know, two or three weeks at a time, sleeping for a couple hours a night. And uh, after a few weeks, I would just kind of crash and burn. And I would be in a fetal position, laying on the floor crying, no one understands what I'm going through. And, and she would tell me, something's wrong with you. And I would, and I, my response was very spiritual. I said, you're right, you're driving me crazy. Um, and and that, was, that was really the, that was really kind of the model of our home. So I was busy doing all this side stuff, taking over the world you know, realizing I'm building all this, but I'm, I, I don't know on this other side, I'm losing not only my wife, and I'm losing all that did I, you know, was building, I was losing my mind. Mm-hmm. And in the, in the midst of all this, my husband actually had a failure in ministry, and he had an affair with a really good friend of ours, and so our lives completely yeah. imploded. We completely lost everything. And to say I was angry was an understatement. I was angry at my husband. I was angry at my friend. I was angry at the church. I was angry at God. Isn't that funny how when things happen, we get angry at God, and he's like, wait a minute. I had nothing to do with this. (laughs) You guys were stupid. You made some stupid choices, but I'm getting blamed. So, and and it's so funny because we never blame the the enemy. We never blame Satan. He never gets blamed for anything. He's the one that comes to kill, steal, and destroy our lives. But he never gets the blame for it. It's always people Mm. getting angry at God. So here I was, I'm like, okay, I've done this church thing. My dad was a pastor. My husband's a pastor. I'm going to do something totally different. So what do I do? I start clubbing it. I'm thinking that's going to bring me all the fulfillment. I start medicating my pain. I start drinking, I start going out in the club, and I love dancing, but I came from a Pentecostal background, so that was a taboo growing up, so How I was dare like, you? I know, right? <laughs> so, she so. was definitely going to hell. <laughs> she, was, she was on a fast track and she was dancing, let me tell you. So yep, I start clubbing sure. it, I start going out and having a good old time, and I thought I could do it without drinking at first. And I was, you know, like, I was good for the first month. No, I, I can't say it was that long. Maybe t- two weeks. Days. I was like, okay, so I can go, and I don't need a drink to have fun. Well, then guys started buying me free drinks, and I'm like, well, I don't want to insult them. So, of course, I started drinking. Then I could really dance good when I started <laughs> drinking, you know? I'm like, I was so much better when I was drinking. <laughs> so then it started me wrapping my world around the wrong friendships. Let me give you a word of warning. Yeah. Whoever you surround your life with and whoever you come into contact with, your community, yeah. will be who you become. Yeah. And they introduced me to a world of drugs, and I started doing crystal meth, and I thought I, I was superwoman then. I could dance all weekend long. I didn't need to eat. It was a great weight loss tool. It was a great energy tool. It was all the things that I had... Like, wow, this is the best life ever. And when she says it was, a, it was a great weight loss tool, this lady dropped down to about 97 or 98 pounds. She was literally like a bag of bones at that point in time. She'd gone so headlong into that darkness. And at, at that point in time, of course, we have the three boys. They're now at ages five and seven. The twins are five and our other son was seven. And, and my world is out of control uh, during this time. What, what had happened was, Obviously, the affair I had was exposed through the church, and we lost the church and immediately lost our income every bit. And so at that point in time, I I took a secular job, and my background was ministry from the time I was just a child. So I had no, there was no resume. There was go out, and and I had to just start selling things because I can talk. Um, So I had to just start kind of selling things and going to work for companies. I went to work for Goodyear and various things. But while she's out, while she's out doing that, what preceded that uh, during this moment, we, we came to a place where we started talking a little bit and we always, we always had this attraction to one another. And so we were going to restore the first time and we were in, we were in our house and she said to me, you're, if you're going to restore, you have to let your parents know it wasn't all me. They're blaming me. So I called my dad. And in the middle of talking to my dad, and I knew, once again, I knew something was wrong. I started to know something was wrong, that my patterns weren't right. So when my dad was on the phone, he started kind of correcting me and yelling at me. And, 
and I don't remember the moment. I remember slamming the phone down and it broke the phone and she said I turned and when I did, I took the iron and I threw it through the wall and I threw myself down the stairs. She said I just kind of threw myself down the stairs and when I ended up at the bottom of the stairs, I put my head through the wall and she said I just stood at the bottom of the stairs with my fist clenched, just screaming at God, GD, this is it and I was out the door. And I don't remember any of that until I, I remember, the first thing I remember, I was at the freeway in my vehicle getting ready to go into the on-ramp. And I thought, where am I at and what am I doing? It was, like a, it was like a 15 minute, you could say blackout, I guess. Well, that's the moment I knew that I had to get help. And I, I went to a psychiatrist. They diagnosed me manic depressive bipolar disorder. And they put me on several hundred milligrams of lithium a day, which back then in 1993, that was a brand new process. And I don't know if you know this or not, those of us are older, unlike some of the people in the room. Uh, back then, counseling was taboo, and psychiatry was like the stigma that would hang over your head. And, but, but what happened was, during that process, <clears throat> uh, within about seven days, it was like a wind blew through my head. Like the sky got more blue, the grass got more green, and for the first time in about four or five years, I started making wise decisions. It was like I was in touch again with who I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd, I'd taken a job, mind you, she's doing what she's doing, but we're still in the home. Uh, she was still doing what she was doing, but I'm, 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 I'm determined to make this marriage work. So I took a job in California with Goodyear, moved out there, and she was supposed to come out there with me. Yeah. And then while I got out there, my father was, uh, she, he'd had a heart attack and quadruple bypass at 59 years old. So I called her and she was supposed to be moving out. I said, oh, you're coming out soon. She said, no, I just wanted to tell you, I met someone, I'm moving in with this guy named Cliff. <laughs> I was like, you, you, well, I won't tell you what I was thinking, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't real Christian at the moment, but it was proof that I had calmed down because if not, I would be in prison by killing Cliff. You know what I'm saying? So long story short, <clears throat> He's finding God, yeah. he's finding help, he's finding redemption for his life. I'm still a little crazy, I'm still like on drugs, I'm still clubbing it. And I find myself in this place with this man that I'm thinking I'm totally in love, well he breaks my heart. And through a whole lot of, he was in California with the boys. I had no income because he couldn't give me any support, he couldn't help me in any way, so I couldn't afford to hold the boys with me in my home. I had a two bedroom apartment I was sharing with a friend. And so I had to fly every two weeks to go see my boys. And so that really put me in close proximity with him because I couldn't afford a hotel at the time either. So I had to stay with his parents didn't make in the me home mad. with him. And, and so really being in close proximity, we actually started talking, we started laughing. I saw this man that I had actually known back in high school. I was like, I saw the familiarity of, wow, this is, something's happened to him. Something has changed in him. And he started talking to me about the redemption of his life and his mind, how God had healed him. He went through a whole process that he will probably share in a minute of just God redeeming his mind and bringing health back to his mind. And I really saw who he was as a new person and we started laughing and having fun together. Remember the marriage conference? Having fun together and finding commonality and we actually just started having a great time and falling in love again. And that was the beginning of the redemption of our marriage. Yeah, it was that process of uh, when she went through the heartbreak that she came out and, and I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to be gleeful about it, but part of me was like, okay, this could be part of God's process. Because when we went with our divorce on a divorce date, it broke my heart. But after I got home from the divorce date back to California living with my parents, uh, I, I remember saying to God, God, what have I done? How did I get here? Because I've always loved God. I loved Jesus from the time my parents took me to church when I was six years old. So I was just a church kid and loved Jesus, but I was just lost. And I said, God, what have I done? And, 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 you know, and he said, what do you want? This, this was literally my conversation with Holy Spirit. He said, what do you want? I said, I want my life back. I want my family back. I want my wife back. And all he said to me was, do what I ask and I'll work with you. I think sometimes we want God to do everything for us but we're co-laborers together with God. He will do his part if you do your part, and what you can't do in your natural, he will add his super. Yep. And, so, <laughs> and so I did what I could in the natural. I said, okay, what do you want me to do? And back then, we didn't have, we didn't have cell phones. I had a pager. Anyone remember pagers? 
and you'd clip it on your belt so everyone could see it. You'd walk like this so everyone knew you had it. You, you, you know, you had swag. You felt like, I'm cool. Um, these people don't know pagers, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no, some of these people do. They're like, oh yeah, I did that. Um, these people yeah, right here. <laughs> <laughs> this section right here knows. <laughs> they had to move up close so Five they could people. see us. And, and, and so the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit instructed me to set my pager alarm for every moment I was awake every 30 minutes to go off. So my pager would buzz, and it would remind me to think, what were you thinking about? Why were you thinking negative thoughts? Why were you thinking anxious thoughts? Why were you thinking depressing thoughts? And I'd go through Romans 12 too, be not conformed, the world be transformed. I'd go through Philippians 4, I'd go through leading every thought captive, the obedience of Christ. I would envision myself taking my thoughts to God. And um, I did that for the first three weeks, and then I set it for every hour. And I did that for a few weeks, I set it for every two hours, then I set it for every four hours. And here's the problem, I think, with most Christians and most, most, most relationships that become hard, no matter if it's a marriage, you're single, you're going through hardships, family life, church, pastoring, is most people don't think about what they're thinking about. Yeah. They don't take inventory of their thoughts. That's why sometimes a husband or wife will go home, they'll be yelling at their spouse, they don't really know why, and it's something that hijacked their mind back in the day through work or something, but they didn't take time to think, I shouldn't be thinking that thought. So to this day, which is 30 some odd years later, my iPhone goes off twice a day, and the first time in the morning it says, renew your mind. So I start out every morning, not some mornings, I start out every morning renewing my mind through that process. And then, yeah, and then about four o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon it goes off again, and it just says T-A-W-T-A, someone's gonna laugh because I've been, I have all these initials that go off on my phone, and it's T-A-W-T-A, and that just simply means to think about what you're thinking about. So I do it twice a day, I'll never stop, and I'd highly suggest every person, every Christian should do that. That's right, so that was what I had seen, the miracle that was happening in his life. And so we actually just started dating again. He moved back to Arizona. We re reconciled, God miraculously healed us. Wasn't rainbows and butterflies, let me tell you, because we had a lot of baggage. Yeah, our first so, year back together was hell on earth. It was what hard, it was. it was really hard, talk about rough. But we went through extensive marriage counseling. We really got every tool that we possibly could to heal us individually so that we could be healthy together. And we remarried in 1995. <laughs> I always that's get these correct. dates all messed up. I'm not a date person, yeah. but that's us remarried. Yeah. I still look 16. <laughs> <laughs> and so this was the age of our boys at that point in time. Well, we stayed out of ministry for like three years, just becoming a healthy family, going through counseling, becoming healthy ourselves. And we knew the call of God was on our lives still. And what we, what we really wanted was, we wanted a church that could relate to people. We had been through so much. Yep. We had gone through so much pain. Yep. I had came from the depths of hell. And God had to forgive me for so much. And there was so much shame. There was so much regret. There was so much that I had to deal with inside of my own self. And so when we thought about ministry, I just thought, I want a church that they know there's a redeeming God. Yeah. That there's nothing that you can go do. There's nothing so far gone that you can't come back and yeah. find a love and a power and a grace that will come cover on. every single yeah. thing that yeah. you've ever yeah. done in your life. Yeah. And so when we started The Rock, we, we have our, our whole motto of our church and, and the mission of our church and everything about it is a church that cares where you're going and, and not, not where, where you've been. been. And that was for <laughs> I us. I love that. Yeah. That was for us. Somebody write it down. We're taking it. <laughs> we've, been, we've, been saying that. That. we've been saying that from day one because we, that God just dropped that into our heart when we was riding oh, together in the car one day that we didn't want a religious church, a normal church, but a church that cares where you're going and, and not where you've been. And so we've been saying that. Where we, every, every week they say, every hey, week. welcome to The Rock, a church that cares where you're going. Everyone screams, and not where you've been. And we've had more people, born again, drug addicts, gang members. Our church is just filled with those who didn't know Jesus. And, and they say that one statement, most of them said, when you said that, I thought I'm home. Wow. Uh, but, but part of the process was, and, and I think this is important, that when you're at your darkest hour, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Come will never leave you. That's right. That's so true. Never leave you. Never leave you. Part of the turnaround is my wife was living with another guy, um, Robbie. I knew him all because she was so cruel to tell me everything, but... Um, <laughs> And she's the only one, she's the only one that knows where all the bodies are. But, 
but she was living with this guy, Robbie, and they were doing drugs together. Yeah. And I would tell her, don't, don't be with that guy. He is a loser. And I'll, I'll kind of let you pick that up what the Holy Spirit did for her there. Right. So we were living together, and he lost his job. He was working for Budweiser, and he stole a keg of beer, so he got fired. See? Who did, he did this? No, no, no. no. Her, oh. A boyfriend. No, no, no. A no, boyfriend like, of mine. No, At I, this point, I, nothing I was no shocks longer me. a loser. <laughs> <laughs> We're kind of going back into time. Well, the moment things started turning. The moment that things you. changed yeah. and turned. But I was just encouraging him. I was cheerleading him. I was like, come on, you can get a job. You, you got so much inside of you. The potential's amazing. There isn't anything you can't do. And I'd leave him notes and and cards and all the stuff. And so one day I came home from work and I was just encouraging him and just being a cheerleader. And he said, how did your husband ever let you go? And it was right then the Holy Spirit basically slapped me in the face and said, you were never this wife for your husband. And if you would have been this cheerleader for your husband, you would have gone through the pain and devastation that you had mm. going through the divorce. Mm. You gotta be his cheerleader. You gotta be the one that's building him up. You gotta be the one that's raising his esteem and not being the one that's always critical and trying to change and trying to make him perfect. Yeah, so when we restored, anyone that knows my wife, she loves, she loves pictures. Literally, we take pictures everywhere. Our first trip to Alaska was a three-hour ride that took us 11 hours because every stop we're stopping. Um, and there was a moment after we remarried that she was, we started the church in March of 1997. It was around June. She just really pressed hard. I want to do family pictures. We've not had family pictures since the boys were little. And it was almost a push where I was like, fine, let's get it done. And so we, we, took, we finally went to, I think, Penny's. That's, that's the picture, yeah. June yeah, of 1997, right there. That's our twin boys up front, Bryant and Brandon. Brandon's on the left. And then Austin is two years older. And I obviously raised him to be Cowboys fans. Since then, I've repented. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was on the road. I didn't have a home team. So it was the Cowboys from college was Alabama. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, Mississippi's cool, but Alabama, roll tight. Anyway, so, <laughs> so this was the picture. And this really became vital. This picture really plays a part because here we are pastoring, and this was in her heart. And so the next month, July... We're, we're, we received a call. Our church at the time was only about 100 people. We were only four months old. And, and we'd received a call that one of the young people had ran away. They wanted us to come over and pray. So we went. And on the way home, we stopped by another family's house. Summertime. The kids are out of school. And they loved these people because they had some animals. And that we stayed and we had dinner with them. So it was getting late. That, it was uh, July 22nd of 97. And so we were starting home late. About 11.15, we go through an intersection. As we go through the intersection, um, a diesel truck ran a red light, and we had an accident. And in that accident, uh, yeah, that's the truck there, and we had the accident. And in that accident, um, it broke my wife's neck in two places. It broke her back in three places. She has over five pounds of titanium down her spine. Her neck's been fused. It shattered every bone in her face. They had to cut her from ear to ear twice and rebuild her face. Her nose was gone. They had to take, car they had to take bone skull and rebuild her nose. Um, and that was the car. Um, and in that process, it also killed our nine-year-old twin son, Brandon, four months into starting the church. And it was the most devastating moment of everything we'd ever encountered. My wife was in pain. I'm dealing with the fact that my son's gone the next day they finally called me in about 7 a.m. and said, your son is gone, we're taking him off the machine. And I said, no, no, you can't take him off the machine, I'm praying. And they said, no, it's no longer your choice, it's legalities, and he's gone. And it, the, 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 it, had, it had severed his brain stem. So the very next day, she was in a body cast. Understand, she had tubes and hoses and IVs, and it, it, was, it was quite an ordeal. This is her after some of her surgeries, actually, that was not even at the time of the accident, but that's part of the recovery process. She went through five major surgeries over the next year and a half. So the next day, they tell me my son's gone, so my first line of action is to go to the other hospital because they divided us because of the tragedy and to take and go to the other hospital and tell my, my wife that her son was dead. As I walked in the room, it's a scene I'll never forget. Um, and as I walked in the room, she was laying and facing me with the bed slightly tilted up and and it looked like something out of Star Wars or sci-fi. And, 
And her father had told her when she was kind of coherent at one moment, Brandon's in, he's not doing well, we need to pray. And when I walked in, she looked up and she could just whisper, ask Brandon. And maybe not even that loud. And I couldn't even say a word. I just looked at her and shook my head. And it's at that moment that I experienced something I'd never experienced was, was I've always said, I never knew, I never knew pain had this kind of sound. That something came out of this little woman that was the, the most raw um, roar of pain that she started just pulling tubes out of her mouth, you know, everything out of her arms and just screamed this, just this blood curling, curdling scream and they had to sedate her and put her back down. And I'd never seen a mother's love quite like that. And to know that we're in the middle of this, I, I didn't even know what to do at that moment. It was just the next days of trying to keep her alive. They gave me a two-hour pass. My husband fought for that because I was on a morphine drip. And, yeah, six days later. And they gave me a two-hour pass, took me by ambulance, and laid me on the front pew to be able to be at my son's funeral. I didn't get to go to the gravesite or anything. So I was, you know. We haven't showed Brandon yet. On, I don't oh, think we've showed Brandon yet. Brandon. Have we showed the pictures of Brandon I so. already? I don't know. Yeah, right I, I can't see oh, what there, Yeah, being so seen. that was, on the picture, the right there, that was about four days before he was killed in the accident at youth camp. He loved our youth mm -hmm. camp. And that was him there about four or five days before. So I'm going through horrific pain in my body, but it paled in comparison to mm. the heart. Yeah. The pain of my heart was indescribable. And I didn't know how I would ever breathe again. I didn't know how I would ever live again. And I remember there was days that when I got through with being in the hospital, they had a hospital bed in my front room of my house because I couldn't go upstairs and downstairs. So they had to put me in a hospital room, hospital bed, and I'm laying there and I'm crying and I'm like, God, I just want to go be with my son. I don't want to, I'm like, this wasn't fair. You should have taken me and let him live. He was so little, so young. Why didn't you take me? But it was at that moment that God gave me purpose and said, you're here for a reason. Yeah. And I want you to take whatever you've gone through, whatever you've experienced, and I want you to help people through it on the other side of this. So I was like, okay. That was exactly when I knew that there was a calling on my life. There was a purpose for my life. And there was a purpose in the pain. You got, sometimes you just gotta find the purpose of the pain and go, I'm gonna push through this. But one of the gifts that God gave me that really brought healing to my mommy's heart was yeah, because she couldn't see her son in the hospital. Right, I didn't get closure. And she closure. didn't get to go to the graveside. So I, she didn't, I didn't get closure. Get closure. And so I'm, I'm kind of having a pity party for myself. I'm laying in this hospital bed in my front room, and I'm like, God, I just, I wanted to spend time with Brandon. I wanted to say goodbye. So I went to sleep that night, and I was like, in this dream, I remember there was a knock at the back door, and I go in the back door, and there's Brandon. And I was like, oh my gosh, Brandon, you're back. You're back. And he just looked at me with his cutest little granny. He's like, no, mommy, but he let me come see you for a little while. And so I grabbed him and I held him and I took him over to the couch and I just looked in his little face and I was like, Brandon, I miss you so much. I don't want to be here anymore. I just, I want to go be with you. I don't, I don't want to be here. And he said, mommy, it's just going to be a little while. I promise it's just going to be a little while. We're going to get to spend forever together. And I said, I know, but are you okay? Because... In my mommy's mind, I, I know he's on the streets of gold, he's with Jesus, but he had to be missing his mommy. You know what I mean? Like he had to be wandering the streets of gold, wondering where I'm at, because he was very dependent on me still. And I'm like, I know he's up there sad, missing his mommy. <laughs> but what I experienced was he looked at me and this glow and this smile came over his face that was nothing like I had ever seen the joy on my little boy's face ever before. And he said, mommy, it is so wonderful. Mm. I can't tell you how wonderful it is. And it was in that instance, like this mommy's heart got the closure it needed. It knew that this little boy, I've never seen this joy in my little boy ever before. And he was a happy little boy, but I was like, I couldn't bring him back even if I wanted to. He is in the arms of Jesus. And it really gave my mommy's heart yeah. peace yeah. in that moment. Yeah. And I proceeded, I was just running my fingers through his hair and kissing his face and kissing his forehead. And the sun started coming up and he said, Mommy, he said, when the sun came up, I had to go back. So I walked him to the back door and I kissed his little forehead goodbye and shut the door and immediately I woke up. I was like, 
that could not have been a dream. I smelt him, I felt him. I, I felt like I was with my little boy the whole night. And that was such a gift from God to bring closure to my heart, to allow me to know that he is in the arms of Jesus. He is experiencing the greatest life ever. And there was purpose in my pain and I was gonna move forward and know that there was gonna be purpose in what he was going through and what he had experienced in his life as well. So I just made it my life's purpose. Okay, God, you heal me, you get me past this point. I'm gonna live my life for the rest of my life. Whatever opportunity you give, I'm gonna be your yes girl. I'm gonna say yes, yeah. no matter what it is, so I'm gonna good. say yes for the rest of my life. Yeah, so and, good. <clears throat> and and here's the deal, I never got a dream. You know, I remember thinking, I want a dream. And maybe some of you here, you've taken some losses like that, and you're thinking, God didn't give me that. Well, he is now. Because I have relived the fact my son's in Jesus by hearing this story over and over and over. So that's the, that's the hope you have today. That's the blessing you have today to hear, to hear this story, is to bless you to say, your children, whatever loss you've taken, they're there waiting on you as well. So, but to just kind of speed things up, we, we now go back to pastoring. The church is growing. She finally comes back to church after a little over a year. The church is really doing well. And right when we thought it was all over, we were out one night and we got a call that uh, my other son, the one that's two years older, he was 18 at the time, seven years later, had an accident. And so we thought, okay, he had an accident. Let's go see what's going on. But he was downtown. So we went to what was the busiest hospital in Phoenix. And as we walked in, the place was just jammed, the, the emergency room. But they took us in. They put us in a secluded room. And I'm thinking, uh, this is not good. And in about 20 minutes, the doctor came in and said, listen, we want you to understand. And before, before you put those next pictures up, we always want to give a little, little um, warning. But they, they said, your son went through a windshield. Um, he was out, he was, he was hurting, he was doing drugs, he'd been doing heroin and various things, he was in gang activity, and they was on a bad drug deal that night, went through an intersection, somebody was chasing them with a gun, and when they went through the red light, a drunk driver at 80 miles an hour in a pickup hit him, broadsided them, three in their pickup, the three in the pickup that hit him was killed instantly. One of the, the driver in my son's truck is still crippled to this day. The other one that was in my son's truck uh, is, he has brain trauma to this day. And my son was catapulted through the windshield, thrown face down in the parking lot of McDonald's. And so when we got to the hospital, they began to tell us his brain was bleeding in about 26 or 27 places. Oh, and wow. there wasn't a lot of hope because they couldn't get the swelling to go away. And immediately my wife, <laughs> immediately my My wife started saying, not again, God, not again. I can't go through this again. And she fell on her knees and my other twin son ran out the door. He was mad. So now I'm stuck between my wife and my son I need to get a hold of. And, 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 and at that moment, I remember thinking, no, no, I'm gonna do the same thing I did last time. And I remember the voice of the enemy saying, yeah, how'd that work out? And I said, you know what? I'm still gonna do it. I'm still gonna pray the same way. I'm still gonna pray in the spirit. I'm still gonna interact with my God. I'm still gonna act my faith. And, and I know we're running short on time, so long story short, uh, about a day and a half later, the doctor came out and he said, oh yeah, and by the way, yeah, we'll show, but, but if you're queasy, if you don't like really graphic pictures, do not look. Hide your eyes, do not look, because this, this is our son two hours after they cleaned him up. I couldn't even recognize him. You, if you they would wouldn't have told known, me that was my son. Go ahead and go to the next one. I couldn't recognize that. His eyes were swollen shut for five days. His go ahead and go to the next. His walls were busted. To, Half of his lip was ripped off. He's, his skull, his whole skull bone and was forehead was brain. laying on his brain. They had to put a metal plate inside of his okay, forehead. Okay, you, you can go ahead and take them down just to give the people a break. Um, so when I walked in that room, they couldn't give him any pain medicine because his brain, they were, they were scanning his brain and they were on top of him scrubbing his face and he was screaming, you know, get me some pain medicine. He was out of his head. Uh, but about a day and a half later, the doctor walked in. It was me and my wife and a fellow we know by the name of Leon Fontaine. The doctor walked in and said, something happened. And we was like, what do you mean? He said, your son's brain just quit bleeding. And I said, that's amazing. He said, no, I've never said this as a physician or doctor, but that's he said, it's a miracle. He said, like, if you cut all your fingers at one time, they just quit bleeding. Your whole, the whole brain just stopped bleeding. It was a miracle. Yeah. 
And so uh, they, they couldn't pry his eyes open. They thought he might be blind. Um, and he was determined to get out of the hospital. The next Sunday was Easter. And I think we thought that maybe at that moment God had got his attention. And he worked so hard that week. Truly, he walked in on Resurrection Sunday and laid on the front row in church that Easter. And this is my son today. Yeah, that's after him today. The accident, miraculously healed. Wow. Miraculously, there's no brain damage. There's no residual effects from that. He married a beautiful yeah. wife. They are, she's our wow. campus pastor in Arizona. My son became a SWAT guy. He's, he was a Marine. He was a Marine. Our other son, the other twin SWAT. became a Marine and was in Desert Storm. Yes, I mean, come on. This yeah. parroting thing is not for cowards. <laughs> and this is our family today. We have five beautiful grandchildren mm. that God has redeemed, uh, restored, blessed, yeah. brought us back to full circle redemption. Might have taken a long way around. We might have been hard-headed, not learning the easy way, but God in his faithfulness. Yeah. Right. There isn't anything he doesn't care about. Yeah. There isn't anything that he can't heal. Yeah. There isn't anything that he cannot restore inside of yeah. your life. Yeah. You just gotta give him every aspect of it. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing I want you to just pull away from this is number one, just as they were talking, Save people struggle too. Save people, church attending, giving, God loving, God fearing people have weaknesses, yes. proclivities, struggles. And this is real stuff. Like sometimes I think we come to church and we sanitize it, yeah. we clean it up, and we want to present things. But this is real stuff. Can you imagine? Some of you have, I know many of you. Your stories are similar where you've lost children or you got a child on drugs or you've struggled with addiction. Can I just tell you, this is living proof yeah. of the God we serve and what he can do. I'm reminded of the scripture that says that we are redeemed by the blood of the lamb and the word and of, the our, word of yes, our testimony. Yes. And there's just something, the devil can't stop the flow of the blood. Right. He, he can't stop the power of redemption. So he tries to keep people from telling their stories. Yeah. And if he can keep people from telling their stories, there's hundreds of you today that have been through so much and the devil didn't want you to hear what God can still do right. today. Right. I, I, think, I think it was earlier, it may have been... Uh, Pastor Tyson that used the scripture, the mercies of the Lord are new and fresh every morning. Every morning. I, I call that the Kevin Goff clause. The God looked down through corridor of time said, I'm creating that one. I better put mercy out. Um, but, but that's the truth of the fact that our pastor told us one time, you know, there's no, most people that go through all these, they, they have like a, a residue. There's a, there's a kind of a greasiness that's still there, if you would. And he said, you don't have that. And you know why he said, he said, because you've been so open to share yeah. everything you've ne you've never let any any skeleton stay in the closet right. so i i would tell you what pastor just said is part of the greatest healing you'll go through is tell your story of the goodness of god yes. maybe it's fresh maybe it's too soon and i don't mean just go tell you know everyone right away but but if it's something you're raw with Find people you can trust. Go to your small group. Be open. Begin right. to share. Find your voice. Let God's voice come through you. Because yeah. what you've been through, God brought. God, God didn't bring you to it. Maybe it was the enemy or the fallen world. God, that's why people say, well, God took your son that night. No, 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 no. God didn't take my son. But you know what? He was gracious enough to receive my son that night. He was gracious enough to receive my son that night. You can't. Keep your shame hidden. You gotta bring it to light so that God can bring healing to your life. What you keep hidden in the darkness will continue to add the regret and the shame upon your life. So bring it to light, let God heal it. Because there isn't anything like in our lives, a living testimony that he cannot heal, that he cannot redeem. Don't let shame keep you from getting the freedom getting the healing that you need. And, and one last thing that I think is vital. People ask us all the time, when does the pain go away? When do you, when do you get over this? You, you never get over this. I'm sorry. I know you're looking for 
some Christian, you know, fairy dust or something to say it's gonna be gone. No, there's times it feels like it was yesterday. Wow. There's times it impacts your heart to where it feels like it's gonna take your breath away. So you never get over it, but through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, you manage it for the rest of your life. Time, time, they say time is a healer. No, time just gives space. And, and the pain's not as often, and the pain is spaced out farther but I'm telling you right now, don't ever think there's gonna come a time where you know, something happens and you're anointed and someone prays for you and it's over. No, you're gonna be renewing your mind and managing that pain and your story and the memories and what the devil wants to bring back for the rest of your life. So you've gotta just say to yourself, this is my story yeah. and it's gonna become my song and I'm gonna praise Jesus for the all story the for long. all the day long that That's I've right. been through. I've been through it so I can come show on. someone else how to get through it. That's right. So whatever the devil can bring to you, God will always let you go through. He may bring it to you, but God will bring you, God will bring you through it. Come on. Yeah. All things work together for the good. Yeah. And what the devil meant for evil, God can Woo. make it work. And I was thinking, my pastor always says it like this, that if you ever give God the pen, he can write a good story. Yeah. And when life can write one way, and childhood can write a one way, molestation, and, and losing of a child, and all these things were out of your control, many of which, not you, you made a lot of crazy decisions, but the, yeah, especially you, <laughs> the decisions we make, the things that we write, but what I love about this story, when I look at them, I can sit here and, and just through the weekend, our 72 whatever hours together, sitting in the back, eating, laughing, joking, I'm telling you, it's like they just said, you know what? They fought for what mattered. They handed God the pen. Yeah. They said, listen, we got a crazy story, God. And if you can do anything, do it through us. If you can heal anybody, heal us. If you yeah. can restore anybody, restore us. If you could deliver anybody, deliver us. And so I know it's relationship series and it's kind of a, a lot of stuff, but I think people need to be reminded today, and I'm gonna have you guys pray over everybody, but I think people need to be reminded that our God can still write good stories. Yeah. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past, because this thought came to me in the middle of it that we're a church, so it doesn't matter where you've been. <laughs> God dropped that in your heart. That came to me, God showed me something. <laughs> well, how does it go again? How did God tell the me? church that cares where you're going and that, not where you've been. Come on, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, we have our book coming out this year and as we were writing our book, and this is a good, this is a good segue to what we were talking about. We're writing our book, we're in Mexico, we're by ourselves, she's sitting in one area, I'm sitting in another area. All of a sudden, I hear, and, 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 she's, and I look over and she's crying and she looks at me and she's, I'm so sorry. And I just instantly started crying. I said, no, I'm the one that's sorry. And this is like, you know, 30 years later or 20, 27 wow. years later at the time and it's raw. Yeah. But... Speaking of the story, it's the statement that's popular right now. You, God can't write your next chapter as long as you keep revisiting your last chapter. So you've gotta go on to the next chapter of your life and I believe that's what God so graciously gave us the power to do. We literally say, wow, that, that was us? It don't even feel like us to us. It feels like it was a whole different story, a whole different life, a whole different couple of people that we think so differently, we process so differently, we, we love so differently, we serve so differently. So wherever you're at, it doesn't matter, you're still in the middle of the throes. Maybe you're going through drug addiction right now. Maybe you've, maybe you've done something, you feel shame. God's grace. Yeah. He said, I will cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. Those two never meet again. They never meet again. God says it's over, and it'll be over, not when he says it's over, because he's already declared it. It'll be over when you say it's over. Yeah, yeah. I sense the, even when you're talking, just to encourage you, I really sense the presence of God to heal mm. hearts today. Mm. So with eyes closed all over the room, Yes. maybe you're near a family member or a friend, if you wanna grab their hand if you're comfortable, maybe you wanna put your hand on your heart. Yeah. I believe the Spirit of the Lord wants to heal people today help you turn the chapter today, help you make the new page to turn, to hand the pen over to God. Yes. And let him begin to write 
a new chapter and a new season in your life. Father, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of your word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but Lord, your word will not. We just declare right now over the lives of those that are here, and maybe it is marriages that are struggling, maybe it's family life in general, God, that's struggling. Maybe they're, maybe they're in the middle of shame of something that they've done in their past. Maybe they're in the middle of a great loss of a loved one, or a child, or someone that was dear to their heart. God, maybe they're just confused. Maybe in their mind right now, they're struggling with putting thoughts together and, and they're fearing the worst. But God, when we fear the worst, you always give us your best. Yes. And God, I just pray right now that you will comfort. Father, we, we, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it, there's nothing about it. When I talk to you, God, there's times I know I have to just tell you, be with me because I'm not good today. Be with me because I'm not, I'm not in the mood today, God. Be with me because my mind needs to be on you and stayed upon you. So God, those that are here right now that are struggling in that area, heal their hearts. Help them renew their minds. Bring them to a new place, a new chapter. God, as Pastor Ethan so wisely put it, we turn the pen over to you. We, we quit writing our story through our pain, writing our story through our anger, writing our story through our bitterness, writing our story through our anxiety. We turn the pen over. You're the author and the finisher of yeah, our faith. Yeah. We ask that you would author a new story, yes. author God, a, a new life, author God to, their, to them right now, whatever's necessary to turn that page. Yes, and Father, for those parents out there that have a, a child that is so lost. Yeah. They're in their depths of despair as a parent, not knowing what to do. And yeah. I know that I'm a living testimony, that my parents were praying parents and they never gave up. They never right. quit praying. Yes. And I'm a result and an answered prayer for my parents. And I had a son that was completely lost in drug addiction and you brought him back. Father, I'm praying for the same over every family that is out here, every parent that is heartbroken and feeling helpless and hopeless over their children. I stand in faith with them. Bring these yes. children back by the yes, power of your yes, word. Lord. Bring them back to your yes, knowledge Lord. and to your power and to your love. Yes, Break addictions off of their life and let them see that yes, you are the yes, only God. hope and you are the only way over their lives. Yes, in Jesus' name. Yes, Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, we pray for the golfs today. Mm -hmm. Let their story touch millions of lives. Mm -hmm. uh, lives be changed. Bless their church. Bless their family. Bless their ministry. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Are you thankful for the Word of God today? One more time, can you let the golfs know how much we appreciate them? Look what our God can do. I said, look at what our God can do. Give him praise, give him glory in the house of God.